Go out and live. That's it, I say. Yep, go out and live. Well, first, listen to this podcast. You know, it's that podcast that talks about movies, that talk about drinking, drugs, and getting sober. Hosted by a sober person. That would be me, Sean Paul Mahoney, and the podcast in question is Sloshed Cinema. I'm urging you to go out and live because that is a central theme and a quote from today's film, 1955's I'll Cry Tomorrow, starring Susan Hayward, Joe Van Fleet, and Mr. Green Acres himself, Eddie Albert. Uh, it is a fantastic film. It's one of those chestnuts that shows up on old movie channels all the time. In fact, when I was watching the movie and tweeting about watching the movie, because apparently I can't do anything without tweeting about it, um, I uh, had mentioned that I was watching it, and of course, my guest from earlier in the season, the lovely Amy, said, Oh yeah, I know that movie and I love it too. So I was excited to watch it. Uh, the movie uh, is about Lillian Roth. Uh, she's a singer from the 1920s and 30s. I, uh, if you're going Lillian Who, yeah, I was the same way. Um, as I normally do, I rolled up my sleeves and uh, fired up the old Googleizer <laughs> to find out who the hell Lillian Roth was. Turns out she started out as a child star and uh, did films and did the vaudeville circuit and had several uh, hit records, one of which was her signature song, The Red Red Robin Comes Bop Bop Bobbin Along. Uh, yeah, you don't know that one either. Either did I. Uh, I will definitely post a YouTube clip with the performance of that song from this movie. Uh, so you can be as informed as I am now. Um, so yeah, I was interested in who this person was and why a movie was made about her. Apparently, Lillian Roth wrote a book in the 50s uh, called I'll Cry Tomorrow. Um, and uh, was the book was a huge hit and sold millions of copies and was a bestseller all over the world. And people were sort of obsessed with it. Why? Because the book was one of the first where a celebrity sat down and sort of spilled the beans about being an alcoholic. Of course, I mean, today it's kind of standard issue. Everybody from Steven Tyler to Belinda Carlisle to on and on and on and on have all published these kinds of books. But back then it was sort of a rarity and it was much talked about that she was talking about it. So... Naturally, when it came time to make the movie, a lot of people wanted to play Lillian Roth. Um, from what I read, everybody from Jane Russell, Jane Wyman, and Janet Leigh, to Gene Simmons, Piper Laurie, and the flawless Grace Kelly, whom we discussed when we discussed The Country Girl, um, they all wanted to play her. It's a meaty role for an actress and at the time, probably a rare thing to play an alcoholic, and openly so. So uh, actors were lining up to uh, get the role. 
Suffice to say, the persistence of Miss Susan Hayward paid off. She, according to lore, wrote uh, the studio head of MGM and said, listen, I need to play her, and here's why. And um, it was very compelling. And uh, she also went to see Roth perform in Vegas and really studied her even before even getting the role. She was that committed. So uh, she um, got the role, and uh, and then the movie started filming. And what's interesting about the film is, right off the bat, we know that Lillian Roth was a child star. And she has one of those moms... We know those stage moms, everybody from Gypsy Rose Lee to Lindsay Lohan and beyond has reportedly had those moms. Um, and it's interesting, you know, we're talking a lot about child stars over the last couple of weeks and former child stars, um, particularly like Corey Feldman, who is just on the Today Show. And that was a much talked about performance. God bless Corey Feldman, y'all. I mean... Let's give him a break, shall we? If he has a band and can still book the Today Show, bravo, Corey, after he's been through. Um, so, yeah, but anyway, that's a pretty fabled thing, right? Like, uh, kids who grow up in showbiz without proper support turn into hot messes. I mean, I remember reading Drew Barrymore's book back in the 90s. So, I um, we know this story, and we know... Pretty much immediately when we see her auditioning and her mom, who is, let's face it, a crazy bitch. The mom is played by Joe Van Fleet. Uh, you might recognize Joe Van Fleet from East of Eden, which she was nominated for an Academy Award for, but actually won an Academy Award for this movie. Uh, it's, you know, we're not supposed to like her, and we don't. Um, it's kind of an interesting choice that Joe Van Fleet does. She's got this really heavy Yiddish, uh, Jewish kind of Brooklyn-y accent, even though, um, Lillian Roth's mom was a definite Bostoner and had that accent. Um... Lillian Roth had kind of, like, in passing mentioned, like, mm, I don't know about that choice. But, nevertheless, Joe Van Fleet does her job as the domineering stage mom from the very get-go of the film. And we get a sense that um, the childhood of Lillian Roth is pretty stressful. Uh, going on auditions and being let known, like, you better make this work out and you better go talk to these directors. So um, it's hard. It's hard to watch. And uh, But the movie is doing this to build what's going on with Lillian Roth. Um, so through a series of performances and different things, uh, we see the pressure starting to get to Lillian Roth. And she eventually ends up in a hospital. Okay, so sidebar, Susan Hayward does a great job. And, I mean, although she's a little old in some of the, like, playing a teenager scenes, but 
whatever, we'll let that go. She's got to play a, a character in progression to you guys, so it's okay that we have like a 30-something, whatever, playing a teenager in certain scenes. It's just, it's got to happen. It was a choice, and it works. And um, it's funny, you know, to have uh, Susan Hayward in this movie. She, um, we remember her from when we talked about Valley of the Dolls, uh, which she's so iconic in. Uh, who doesn't love the line uh, that she says, you know, uh, the only star of a Helen Lawson production is Helen Lawson, and that's me, baby, remember? And um, so it's hard not to think of her saying those lines while you're watching her as Lillian Roth. And the film has all the stuff that I love that we've talked about before, and things like Valley of the Dolls and Postcards. And um, it's a movie about showbiz, which I adore. And uh, it's just this side of campy, you know, from musical numbers that I mentioned. And then the kind of like over-the-top Jewish mom thing going on with Joe Van Fleet. Um, it's almost there. Uh, what prohibits it from going completely there is that... The movie starts to get dark. And when does it get dark? Well, it gets dark when, um, after being in the hospital and after not being able to sleep and feeling stressed out, uh, Lillian is offered a drink and, um, ba-ba, like a bunch of us, as she feels like she, that was what was missing. Here's what was the missing link from her life this entire time. So she soon starts to drink before performances and feels much more loose and relaxed. And at which point the red, red robin is really bop, bop, bopping along. And, um, she also doesn't give a fuck. And she's also now a little bit more liberated, a little bit more vocal. She tells Mama to sit down on several occasions and for the first time in her life. And um, it's a very, even though I was never a childhood star and never had this relationship with my mother, it's a relatable experience as an alcoholic to have the chemical support to help us feel like we've arrived, right? Like, I just was writing about this the other day that, um, you know, when I started doing drugs and going to dance clubs and raves and after-hours parties and that sort of thing, that, like, being around people like me and being around other alcoholics and drug addicts, I felt like, finally, like, oh, my God, whew, I can be myself, even though it was a inebriated version of myself. So, you get the sense that Lillian is going through much the same thing. Um, in the drinking scenes uh, and the heavy emotional scenes, Susan Hayward definitely connects to that. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in a few moments. Um, so, yeah. So, anyway, she starts to drink more and... As it has been known to happen, uh, the judgment gets a little bit looser while she's drinking. For example, she ends up um, marrying a guy who she met while drinking. He's a sailor. 
Um, and they have a great old time. You know, it's all drinking and conga lines and good times. And, um, and then they get married while they're wasted. And this is what I read. This is something like her first of, gosh, what was it? It's like four or five marriages. I, or maybe six. I think this is maybe six. Yeah, so this is the first of six. And this is a guy that she meets while drunk. And marries while drunk. And then um, they kind of try to make it work. But he's a disaster. They don't know each other. The only way that they can deal with each other is by being wasted all the time. In the meantime, uh, Lillian has co completely alienated her mother. And... Um, she wants to have fun. She wants to relax. She's still bringing in money. So she, in essence, tells Mama to, like, back off. I've got this. Um, so that marriage does not last. It's, from what we're led to believe, maybe just a few weeks or maybe a month or two. So that marriage collapses. She continues to drink. She goes on to another marriage with another heavy drinker. Oh my God, who she meets at a party, which is like the best line. Uh, well, the movie has several great lines. But um, so the guy is uh, like, meets her at a party and he's he tells her, oh no, I've had enough to drink after she offers him a drink. And she says, oh my gosh, I've always admired someone who knows they're high and doesn't need another drink. And I so identified with that line. I'm like, oh yeah, that was so elusive to me that like somebody who knew they were already wasted and didn't need another one. It, my thing was always like, so? Uh, yeah, I'm already a hot mess and I'd like to be a hotter mess. Please and thank you. Um, so... Uh, he kind of, like, they have a very explosive relationship. And she's been told at this point, like, you know, get it together. It's starting to show. So what happens with her is she starts to drink in secret with the help, and I use help in quotation marks, of this, like, fucking nurse or personal assistant or, like, worst enabler ever Whoever this bitch is, like, from what we're led to believe from the movie, like, hung out with Lillian Ross and Roth and pretty much enabled her and helped her drink uh, for several years. And it's like, oh, no, just, you know, hide it in bottles and just carry a flask with you when you get the shakes. Like, awesome friend. Um, so, yeah, through her help, she um, starts hiding her drinking and um and then uh it's like the progression of events right you guys like so she marries another drunken asshole and they're drinking all the time and then the progression is like uh that relationship falls apart and then she's hawking her fur coat so she can drink some more. And then she's like, the next step in that is 
passing out at dive bars and being asked to leave. I'm hanging out in like really shady ass skid row bars. So here it is, you know, like we're like a long way through the movie, you guys. Like I remember pausing it on Google Play where it's available, by the way, um, to watch for rental. Pausing it, and there was, I mean, maybe only a half an hour left, and she was still drunk. So, um, and not in, like, a, the movie is dragging, oh my god, please hurry up and get sober, or die, or have something happen. No, 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 not at all. Because the movie's really entertaining. The way it's directed, the way it's staged, it clearly took a lot from the autobiography, and including the pacing, and, um took us on that journey and while i know that the book covers other stuff the movie wisely focuses on the alcoholism aspect of lillian ross life and is very compelling but it goes on for a long time and that's another thing i can identify with you know my drinking and drug use as i may have talked about once or twice uh that went on for a long time as well like um 20 years so uh her journey is um one that rang true for me uh so suffice to say you know she um she passes out oh my god uh asian people <laughs> so it's like you rarely see real asian people in 50s movies so there's Asian people who are um, is sprinkled throughout her uh, journey into uh, Skid Row. And so that that's something that came somewhere after passing out and um, hogging her fur coat. And, um, you know, it's a very, like, into the pits of self-pity and self-hate and she really gets there and goes there which again is you know something we've all been through and it it's worth noting that this movie predates days of wine and roses which is a male and female character driven piece uh but primarily you know it's jack lemon's character who we're uh watching progress with alcoholism, even though Lee Remick's character goes through it too. But um, I bring this up because, you know, this whole season we've been talking about how female stories of recovery, ethnic stories of recovery, LGBT stories of recovery, um, they're just not as predominant in uh, movie world as male stories are. And I have tried to, like, really think outside the box as far as that goes. And to um, look for movies that talk about something else. So it was cool to find a movie that's older than Days of Wine and Roses that has a lead female character. Oh, my God. That was an epic rant. Um, anyway, point being, things get really, really bad for her. And she um, attempts suicide Okay, so this is crazy. I was looking up, and if you're ever wanting to research an old movie 
Please start first and foremost with um, TCM.com because they have so much information and backstory on almost every old movie ever. And if you're a nerd for this kind of stuff like I am, you will um, have your mind blown open, I promise. And so, case in point, while I was looking into this movie, so this suicide scene is, like, extra poignant because, like, a month before the film started shooting, uh, Susan Hayward attempted to kill herself by overdosing on sleeping, pill, sleeping pills right after a messy divorce from Jess Barker. And um, Hayward never talked about the suicide attempt, but clearly it had to play something into her portrayal of um, Lillian Roth. So kudos to her for channeling that and like, you know, we've come time and time again while we're looking into these movies, how, like, real life and backstory, they usually intersect at some point. And I um, I don't really believe in coincidences. I think these things happen because they're supposed to. So, uh, yeah, that's fascinating to me. Um, so she attempts suicide, but uh, clearly she doesn't succeed, and thankfully, because that would be a really depressing way to end the movie. So, what does happen is she gets sober. And, um, enter AA. Uh, so, it could be an entire thesis, or blog, or book, um, the portrayal of AA on film. And here's another one. Um, so she she gets sober, uh, she goes through all of the nastiness that we all do getting sober, and then she ends up in AA, and um, great scene of her first uh, meeting, and the people in AA, and how fabulous they are, and understanding, one of which is Eddie Albert, and his character, and um, so... Yeah, so she gets over, and, like, if you've been through um, that kind of recovery, which I myself have been and still am active in, uh, you'll recognize certain things like the Twelve Traditions and the Serenity Prayer and all of that stuff. Although, there's some, like, some stuff, like, we don't say anymore. Like, he had told her... Uh, well, first of all, he's a guy sponsoring her, which in modern recovery, that doesn't really happen for obvious reasons. Um, and uh, also, it doesn't really happen anymore is that he tells her, like, she's graduated. Uh, yeah, we kind of don't send that message anymore that people graduate from recovery because you don't. Um, not, you know, like, you don't stop being a sober person because then... Yeah, I mean, that's just something we don't say anymore. Um, yeah, so that's pretty funny. And then, like, she's graduated, so that means that they can start dating, which they do, and apparently they got married in real life and then broke up 
um, just a few months later, and after he had like stolen from her or something. So yeah, uh, no, turns out you never graduate from recovery. Um, the film ends with her going on uh, This Is Your Life, which was a show back in the day that kind of profiled people. And um, she spoke openly on television about being an alcoholic. And um, it was a big moment and kind of a breakthrough um, for alcoholism. And uh, also sort of controversial because she talked about AA and, you know, it's at that time, the anonymity was a bigger deal. Uh, but, you know, it was her own personal choice. She wasn't breaking the anonymity of people or the group. So, uh, yeah, it's all very interesting and a very entertaining film. I think it's shot beautifully. Um, I'm a sucker for black and white. Uh, as I mentioned at the top of the show, I love anything with showbiz and talking about movies to talk about movies and it does all that i love the kind of high camp drag queen aspects of the film including joe van fleet uh yeah i say watch the film here at slash cinema we give these kinds of things stars because it's my show and i can give things stars if i want to Damn it. And I think this film is a classic and run on classic film channels for a reason. So I'm going to go ahead and give I'll Cry Tomorrow from 1955 with the incredible Susan Hayward five stars. Yep, five stars, kids. Another five-star film we've discovered on our journey here on the corner of pop culture and recovery. Um, Yeah. So I mentioned as we opened the show, uh, the one of the messages of the movie is go out and live. And um, I think that's a vital thing in recovery in general, right? Like going out and living and having a good time. And like we don't get sober to be miserable. And like I've known for myself that if I'm in periods where I'm sober and miserable, like I need to change i need like i need either more spiritual growth or i need to new creative projects or i need to lighten the fuck up um humor for me is essential like if i'm not laughing uh or making others laugh or having a good time then um Please find me in Denver, Colorado and throw me into a hot volcano because living without having a good time sucks. And one of those ways that I have a good time is I'm a hashtagger extraordinaire over on Twitter. Um, Just yesterday we were hashtagging and uh, we were hashtagging about hashtag movie you lied about seeing. Um, it turned into a very hilarious conversation, and um, we were talking about, like, I, who knows why human beings lie about movies that they see, and particularly alcoholics, we lie about everything, so why wouldn't we lie about movies that we see? Yeah, it turned into, like, a four-step inventory about <laughs> movies we lied about. Very hilarious. Um, all kinds of funny people sort of responded. Uh, my friend Bronwyn Hey, girl, hey, uh, responded about um, 
The Matrix and lying about seeing The Matrix. I think lots of people lie about seeing Keanu Reeves movies um, just to spare themselves. Uh, other friends, like my pal Susan, lied about uh, seeing Conan the Barbarian, which I kind of think like she'll she'll be okay if she never sees Conan. Um, other friends were uh, lied about seeing movies that like we're supposed to see, like um, my friend Mark. Uh, said um, he had never seen, oh my gosh, now I can't remember what Mark had never seen. Um, uh, oh yeah, Casablanca. And then I had another friend who said, Chris, uh, said that he'd never seen Citizen Kane. Um, as movie nerds, shame, shame, shame. Both great films. You should see those immediately. But I understand lying about movies. My movies... Okay, I have tons that I lied about. Uh, like, I never saw Aladdin, and I told people that I did, just so I wouldn't have to sit through a fucking cartoon with flying carpets and a stupid duet. Um, a Whole New World? No, thank you. And by the way, that movie came out when I was doing ecstasy every weekend. I didn't need a flying carpet. Thanks, Disney. I already had that covered. Uh, but maybe I will see it. And, like, write a blog about it or something. Um, okay, and then I... Uh, what else have I lied about seeing? I, um... Well, there's always, like, a best picture that I lie about seeing. Like, Crash looked fucking intolerable. And, um, I didn't want to see it. And so a friend of mine asked me to go see Crash. And I was like, oh, I've already seen it! Um, big liar. Sorry, friend out there. Um... But if it makes anybody feel any better, said friend saw the movie and was like, oh, it sucked. So <laughs> I don't feel bad about lying about seeing Crash. Sorry. Um, I don't feel like I owe Matt Dillon and Fandy Newton an amends. It's all good. But hey, if you want to tell me uh, the hashtag movie lied about seeing... Um, you should. You can do that at Sean Paul Mahoney on ye old Twitter. Yeah, so the moral of today's film slash episode of Slash Cinema is go out and live, gosh darn it. And remember, no matter if you're alone, in the dark, watching a movie, you are never alone.